Welcome, my brothers and sisters, to another Sega-sational Sega Guys podcast. On the starting grid, in lane one, you've got me, it's Dan, the Mega Driver, and in lane two, he's the McLaren F1, my Dodge Viper, it's James. How you doing, mate? <laughs> oh, the analogies have already started, I think. Yeah. <laughs> if people haven't checked the title of the show, then that's a nice little hint as to where we're going. Uh, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Uh, things have just been a bit crazy in in my world in real life at the moment. I think for, for both of us, really. But uh, glad to settle down behind the microphone again and uh, give our give our listeners a, a well overdue taste of our of our Sega fandom. Yes, it's, it's been a while, and you're right, mate. It's hectic. Uh, we have these kind of wee spells where life just kind of tends to build up the challenges and then toss them at us. But aye, it's good to get a wee bit of release and sit back and, and talk about some some sega games and some arcade games this time as well it is it's gonna i'm, I'm looking forward to this one mate and this was one that we only came up with recently i know we've got and uh yeah listeners just uh be rest assured that we have got a, a list as long as our arm of pod ideas <laughs> and notes and stuff lined up and guests and uh just for various reasons uh we haven't been able to put it together but hopefully now that things are kind of settling down a bit we'll be able to uh give you all a, a, some more regular of sake of goodness um but um yeah i'm really excited about this one today mate because uh it's one that's close to both of our hearts and one that we've mentioned before when we've been talking about the various sega consoles and uh, what games we might have expected on them yes it's i mean for all the arcade ports that that sega systems are, are notorious for you know it's but you look back through the kind of the lineage so to speak and there's just so many titles and you know you could argue that there's ones that if you had the chance, there's ones you would definitely swap out um, to bring some of these these in. And looking through them, you wonder what Sega were thinking about not bringing them over. Because as, as we go through the games that, that we've picked, there's a good couple of them that you can look at and you think that at the era that they came out um, and you look at the kind of the, the, the competitors' uh, systems and the, the games that came out on there, um, there's certainly a market for some of these games to have taken, you know, those on, and uh, yeah, let's, let's just get into it and, and get through these these uh, lost treasures. I think's the best thing to call them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, Sega have always been baffling in a lot of their decision making, and I think when you look through the console hardware that they had in the space at the time, so the way that some of these these arcade games didn't actually make it out into into some sort of port is kind of baffling. But absolutely, mate, let's let's get straight into it. So this is lost in the arcade a bunch of sega arcade games that never made it home for one reason or another and i think we can only speculate as to why some of these have never made it home but uh there's i think there's so many that we when we were making this going through the notes in this episode mate they just kept coming didn't they you know the ones that we thought were like <laughs> okay well we gotta have this one we gotta have this one oh god this is a massive one <laughs> so yeah uh i think we just picked out a selection for now haven't we Mm -hmm. And because of that, I mean, this is actually going to be split over two episodes and I think possibly we might even be able to maybe 
squeeze a third one out or even maybe a, a mini just to kind of finish it off because you're right, that chat that we had, um, we were sitting there going through them and I kind of threw a couple up and then you put a few up and then backwards and forwards and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, here's another phone. It was like, you know, Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, which <laughs> I completely forgot about, was, was flung in there by yourself. And I, it's, uh, this is definitely um, not a one-off episode, that's for sure. We've got titles galore to <laughs> to work through. We really have. Um, when you said that we were going to have two, I almost jumped in there and go, well, two? There's at least three. <laughs> and, that's, uh, and that's if we're being, you know, I think we're being quite generous because neither of us came up with, you know, Golden Axe, the Revenge of Death Adder or Arabian Fire or anything like that because they have made their way to the, uh, oh, what is it, the Astro City Arcade now. Yeah, the Mini, uh, which, yeah. Yeah, the Mini, which, you know, technically it's not really a port. It's not, you know, they're just being emulated on, on hardware. You know, we've excluded those, even excluding those. There's so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a nice half dozen to, to start us off. Ones that both you and I have played, both stuck out to us, and that we've got a connection with. Uh, it's going to be interesting talking through some of these. What our what our memories of these are, or if we didn't play them back in the day, what do we think of them now? I think they've got a lot of personality, um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, you listeners find them interesting too, and find a way to, to seek them out and play them because. One way or another, quite a few of them are playable. Uh, thankfully, they're not all completely lost to time, which is why emulation is so important. Um, at the time of recording this, it's become a bit of a, a hot topic with all the Metroid Dreads talk. But uh, mm, yep. um, when we're talking about stuff that you just cannot buy anywhere, stuff that you can't play anywhere, you know, it really does show the value in sustaining that sort of legacy within the industry and one that's Sega more than anyone else really is in danger of losing without it. So yeah, mate, let's see we just jump straight into it. We shall. And I think the, the first game is a game that um, I have wanted to play at home for so, so long. Uh, and my recent return to the Windows platform after two decades plus away on the Mac um, has enabled me to to finally play it, you know, through emulation, as, as you've said there, mate. And you're, you're quite right that you know, we are in danger of, of losing that ability to play these, these not just old games from, from retro consoles that are obviously maybe a little bit out of everybody's reach in terms of price with the way things are going. But in terms of arcade, um, this this first game, I, I got to finally play it at home um, and I was absolutely buzzing to do it. And how this did not come to the Dreamcast. We have spoken about this game so many times on here, it is the one and only Scud Race. And what a game. I mean, Sega Super GT, um, it actually came to the Dreamcast in some form as a, mm-hmm. as a demo. Uh, that's the most maddening thing about it. But uh, for those listeners that haven't uh, played it, seen it, or know very little about it, Scud Race was very much uh, a game in the vein of of Daytona USA. So imagine Daytona USA, but just everything ramped up to 11. Um, instead of being on the Model 2 board, it's on the Sega Model 3 board. And instead of all these, you know, these stock cars that are flying around um, American tracks, you've got uh, a set of supercars. So you, you know, you've got your McLaren uh, F1s, you've got your Dodge Vipers, you've got your Porsche 911s. Uh, oh, what's the F1 on there, mate? It's a Ferrari F40. Oh, how could I forget that one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost like uh, like Outrun and Daytona had a baby in, in, a, in a way, isn't it? 
<laughs> Come on over to my place, Daytona. <laughs> I got some plans for you. <laughs> Nine months later, it is. Imagine uh, Outrun leaning over, putting on um, putting on magical sound show. Daytona. Why don't you go? In. <laughs> Come on, slip into something a little bit more comfortable, baby. <laughs> Daytona's like, let's go away. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> and you know with Scud Racers got its opening track it starts going woo <laughs> oh but mate what a sensational game I mean did you get to see the old play this one in the arcade back in the day yeah um, this was one as I spoke about before in the pod like booths used to get like they would get the newest games in but they wouldn't have them for very long um, so I only got to see them by virtue of the fact that you know Munkle took my lovely weekend so when there was that rotation, you know, you would go in maybe the following week after being in three or four weeks in a row and the game was swapped out. You know, they would rearrange the machines a wee bit. Um, but Scud Race was in booths um, and I, it was mesmerising to look at at the time. It looked so far ahead of any racing game, but at the same time, it was one of those ones that you were looking at it thinking, this is going to come out on a Dreamcast, you know, because we'd all... We'd all known about the Model 3 and this is what the Dreamcast was meant to be kind of looking at, aiming towards in terms of performance. So at that time, you're going into the arcade and you're looking at these new Sega games and, and it was almost kind of like window shopping for what you were going to be playing at home. Um, and as you alluded to, we, we did get it in some kind of form um, on Dreamcast. It was, you know, the the tech demo or one of the tech demos um, at the, the new Challenge Conference where... Um, you see, I, th- I believe that is, it's the it's Ferrari and the McLaren having a wee kind of race on the, the bridge and the, the lighting effects look absolutely brilliant. And it's got the the score from the first track, that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do with a wee woo-do-do-do-woo that goes in between it. Um, and it, looks, it looked great. It was fluid. And oh, you're thinking, here we go, we're going to get a scud race at home. Um, and it just never happened. Um, and we can only, you know, speculate as to why, but the fact they went through all that trouble to get it up and running as a tech demo, um, you know, you've also not just the cars, but you also got the the demo of the, the camera swooping around that first track, you know, round the bends with the big glass buildings and over the bridge and through the tunnel. It's got the, the, the kind of water with the fish going through it and, I just never happened. So played it in the arcade, loved it in the arcade, um, blown away by it. Um, but yeah, no home port. But what about you, mate? What were your your Scud race memories? Yeah, I, I I saw it in the arcade a few times, and it was times when I was away. So we were in, visiting the coast or something. Um, with my family and another family, and I, I remember seeing it with friends. So I remember seeing, I think it was um, somewhere in the south southeast uh i can't remember somewhere in kent anyway um they had the great big deluxe cabinet uh and that was amazing um because this came out actually came out in 96 in japan um i don't think i saw it that early but i definitely saw it before the dreamcast was announced and it was one of these things it was launched very close to virtual fighter 3 and obviously we spoke about that game at great length about how mind-blowing that was when we saw that in action um to me this was almost even more mind-blowing because even though 
Virtual Fighter 3 was moving into sort of uncanny valley, the way that the eyes moved, the way that the characters looked, uh, the, the, the detail in there was just light years away from what we could see in at home, what we saw on PCs, even what, we, what else we saw in the arcade at the time. And Scud Race, because of the way that the cars looked, it, it almost looked photorealistic to me. Um, now, it came out, I think I must have played it in 97, because I also saw the, uh, I remember, I can't tell you where I was, all I remember is we went into this tiny little arcade. It was no bigger than, say, like a small office. It was it was absolutely tiny. Um, and in it, there was about 10 machines. And I remember Die Hard Arcade was there. And then this Scud Race was in there, but it was the it was under Super GT. And it had the stand-up cab. It wasn't the full sit-down one. But I remember looking at it then and playing it and just being absolutely blown away and spellbound. And it's funny because of when it did come out, um, obviously, we was knee deep into the Saturn there, and this was 1997. And um, obviously, we had the rumors: yeah, Virtual Fighter 3 is going to come to the Saturn. As a Virtual Fighter 3. <laughs> well, it was announced, wasn't it? Virtual Fighter 3 is going to come to the Saturn. Mm-hmm. Whether it was going to have this add-on or whatever. Yep. Um, and I'd watch, look at Virtual Fighter 3, and think, oh, well, tone that down. Maybe nip a few nips and tucks here. Maybe you get rid of the underlay. I remember looking at Scud Race and thinking, nah. <laughs> <laughs> That ain't coming to the Saturn. Computer says no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it looked so far beyond anything else that was out, and I thought it looked even more impressive than Virtua Fighter Three at the time. You think of how amazing Virtua Fighter Three was. Yeah, I thought I looked at it. I thought absolutely no chance does this come to the Sega Saturn. I mean, the thing is, it's it's got Daytona's DNA through it. And as much as you and I both love Daytona USA on the Saturn, you know, having Scud Race with its 40 cars going around the track and everything, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Saturn would have just gone, uh, no, no, thanks. no. no. Um, but I mean, the, the Saturn did get a kind of mention in, in Scud Race. It's in, it that first, in that first track. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just on the the start finish line, uh, which yeah. approach it, the, the, it rotates as well. So it's a big blue globe with the the, the S bent round it, and it rotates. It's got the Sega Saturn logo that rotates around the base. I know it's such a tease, I, <laughs> but I, I even even after seeing that, it's just it was just I I couldn't see it happening because it was just I thought it was light years above anything else that we had at the time. I mean, we've seen the videos about how far Daytona, how far ahead Daytona Two was. I thought this was even beyond that, because at least you had, you know, Ridge Racer to compare Daytona to, and Daytona was obviously a leap above that. But there was nothing around that was anything like Scud Race. I didn't think. No, and that's interesting. That obviously, you mentioned that as well about the kudos that Daytona gets because. We've seen the DF retro video where, you know, this is how frame rate, you know, came to matter and that 60 FPS bar. But, I mean, you know, we consider that you're talking about whenever Scud Race came out in 96, 97. You know, it's only a few years after Daytona. Yeah, um, only three years. Aye, aye. And, you know, so you're thinking, why, why doesn't Scud Race get any kind of retrospective credit that way, much like Daytona does? Because, yeah, Daytona was in 93 ridiculously far ahead of its time uh, and what it was doing but I mean to be fair like, you, you look at Scud Race the, the reflections, the water effects like the the medium because like, you've got the, the beginner one you've got two beginner stages, a medium and a hard um, the first beginner stage is the city 
The second beginner stage is at night time, and then the medium one is the insanely weird Egyptian mountain range kind of track where you yeah. you go through like a wee village, and then you, you turn through and you go in an archway, and it's like all Egyptian buildings with like flames in the walls and bricks, and it just it's a crazy looking stage, uh, almost like a pharaoh's tomb or something like that. But you look at the 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 dynamic change of of landscape within a track, you know. Even the the second beginner course, you know, you're, you're pelting along at like 260 mile an hour. There's the street lights are beaming down on you, and then you've got the, the different buildings and the scaffoldings, and there's planes and airfields, and it's just just literally taking every graphical effect it can think of and going, "Have this at your eyes." <laughs> it's like it's crazy. It's absolutely insane um, because our, it's 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 hilarious in a way because Daytona is slightly bonkers in its soundtrack and in its presentation and how uh, the way the commentator works and all that stuff. It's, it's brilliant, off-the-wall craziness. And then you've got Super GT Scud Race, uh, which looks, you know, photorealistic, looks absolutely astonishing. And within it, you can choose from four supercars, four real-life supercars. So you think, all right, this is grounded in reality. And then you go down a hill, and all of a sudden, you get a great big swinging pirate ship flying up the track towards you, or you're you're scooting around some sort of highway in the middle of an aquarium. (laughs) (laughs) It seems even more bonkers that you've got these these realistic-looking real-life supercars blistering around these tracks and all of a sudden you've got all this absolutely insane stuff happening all around them while they blitz around this track with about it's it's up to 40 other cars on there it's absolutely insane (laughs) and i think the fact that the scud race tracks made it into outrun two is quite kind of fitting because you know having you know recently um emulated scud race just before we recorded us to play it um and having played it, you know, with a controller for the first time, after having played Outrun Two on on Xbox, it's very similar in, in its DNA. The, the the power sliding mechanics are the exact same whenever it's mapped to a controller. Like if if you can play Outrun Two to a, a, any reasonable degree of skill when taking, you know, whenever if you play the heart attack mode and it's like drift some more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> If you're comfortable with those drifts and the way you execute them on the, the Xbox controller whenever you're playing um, Scud Race emulated, it's the exact same. It feels so close. Um, and I think the tracks being in there, I think now you can understand why because Outrun 2 really does pay a lot of homage to, to Scud Race in terms of the kind of the visual style um, and obviously the handling as well. Yeah, I, it's, it's been a long time since I actually played Scud Race. I've got to admit because... Um... Yeah, it's it's been a while, so I can't I can't tell you how it plays on a on a controller myself, but uh, it did feel fitting that it, it fit into Outrun too, as much as much as the massive prick tease that is. But it's it's part of the reason why that why that port of our Outrun two on the original Xbox, obviously not the coast to coast version, is is one of my favourite ways to play because uh, I've never been good enough to to unlock everything legit on that version of the game, but I do love sticking the password in and unlocking the scud race tracks and burning around those even though it's not you know proper scud race because they're all interconnected and it's point to point rather than you know doing laps of each track uh but i think it it helps as well that you do have the ferrari f40 in there because it is outrun after all um it really makes it a lot more like, like it feels like an authentic experience then 
uh, or as authentic as you can get <laughs> on a on a console. But it's uh, it's mad. I mean, mate, I mean, how it, they actually had the 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 tracks rebuilt in that Outrun Two engine. You know, um, surely they could have taken those four tracks, fleshed them out, done the proper loops around them, just released it on the Xbox Live Arcade. You know, back in the early days. You know. <laughs> The work was done there, even though it wouldn't have been a one-to-one port. You know, it's been built in engine. You know, it's been rendered. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It is. I mean, you're right. It's like you've done all the hard work. You've made the tracks. Just kind of lift them out of out one, two, split them up, and then allow you to go around each one three times and put the other three cars on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know we're saying all the work's done, and I've just said and, and, and about six times, you know, so maybe it wasn't as easy a job as as, as uh, we're saying, but I, it was a it was a really a bad tease, I think, at that point. Like, whenever you, you heard that they'd put the Scud Racing Daytona 2 tracks into Run 2, it was like, ah, come on, Sega, you're just taking the piss now, aren't you? It's like... <laughs> It's like somebody's sitting somewhere going, sticking two fingers off at everybody going, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, we know you wanted them and we can't be bothered doing full ports and releasing them, but, you know, you could just face the tracks in this wee thing as a side game behind a password. And they play <laughs> they play so well. That's the thing. They're brilliant. Oh, it's impeccably designed. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the frustration with it all, but I, th- I feel like it's probably the market at the time if we're talking about but 2004 that version of outrun 2 came out and by that point you know you didn't get your arcade games with three tracks or four tracks anymore uh even outrun had to pad itself out with you know as you say the heart attack mode and all the extra unlockable i'm with you though man i love the heart attack mode i want to go far away keep keep passing the cars Drift some more. Then you don't. If you don't do it, she gets so angry, starts pointing at you, and it's like yeah. it's like a precursor for marriage, isn't it? It's like <laughs> I think Outrun Two taught me what about a lot about relationships, mate. <laughs> buy a Ferrari and drive fast and keep them happy. It's... Yeah. And if you don't, then she starts starts slapping you, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's uh, a classic. And as you say, it's. Um, I mean, if there was a concert we'd gone to. Um, which I think we're touching for all of these, it, w- it would have been the Dreamcast. It mm-hmm. seemed like it was meant to be, if you, you know, when we heard about it from the new Challenge Conference. Yep. Um, I can only think it was the view at the time that arcade games were, you know, not a priority for Sega. That, and I'd imagine the licenses may have been a factor. Mm. Yeah, whenever you think about the kind of the three to four year kind of gap, possibly it may have been the, something to do with the licenses. Um or was it just that thing where, was he, I know there's that line that allegedly Sega had said that they didn't want to stigmatise Dreamcast as being an arcade machine, or an arcade port machine, Yeah. and then they brought out 18-wheeler. But anyway, um, <laughs> so maybe that had something to do with it, but then they, they launched with Virtua Fighter 3, so you're, you're launching with an arcade game, so you're yeah. kind of setting your stall pretty early on, despite, apparently, unless that unless the Western approach was they didn't want to stigmatise it. I've never quite read who that quote was attached to in terms of, you know, was it was it Japan or, or the US uh, slash European side? But I just, somebody knows why it was canned. Um, 
whether they still work at Sega have moved on, I don't know, but someone knows why. They took the time to build that tech demo and then went, nah. <laughs> nah. Have 18 wheeler. Yeah. Yeah, they, you imagine the team sat there, you know, they've coded this 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 brilliant looking tech demo, you know, they've had to rush it for the new challenge conference. The console is quite a few months away yet. They're like, yep, right, we've got this, it's looking great. Shows it in the video, everyone's oh well, applaud and everything. Put your curtains closed, everyone leaves like, right, bid it. <laughs> Get rid. <laughs> in favor of out of my way, greenhorn. <laughs> 18 wheeler was a bit wet later though, wasn't it? Was that 2001? Yeah, that was that was that was kind of death throes of the Dreamcast. That one. Yeah, that's when they were um, throwing fighting Vipers two on there, and that was a uh, that wasn't the best port. That was think that was when they were they lost, you know, finance or whatever. You know, they didn't have the financial muscle to put out the sort of ports they wanted, or mm. or, or they could or they couldn't be bothered. But it could well have been. It was like so. Uh, we were going to try and do all original content, but we spunked all our money in Shenmue. See the arcade ports. Start, <laughs> start putting them out. Who've you got? Eighteen wheeler. <laughs> Fighting vipers too. <laughs> get it with a GD ROM and get it in the shop. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, it's baffling, baffling decisions to say we could be here all day. I think, uh, yeah, any more to say on Scud Race, mate? Or should we move on to the next one, which I think is is just as baffling? Mm-hmm. Um, only thing I would say is that if, also we won't tell you where to get the games, um, Google is your friend for that, <laughs> but um, if if you do want to try out Scud Race, um, just Google the Supermodel 3 emulator. Um, there's also a UI version because Supermodel 3 is, is quite user-unfriendly. Um, it's quite um, it's command code based to, to load games but someone's actually done a UI for it um, and it's really easy um, there's a YouTube video that's got full instructions on how to do it, it's literally drag and drop so um, if you do want to try out Scud Race then you know, by all means have a, a look at that, it's dead dead easy to do, um, if I can do it then anybody can put it that way oh, I might have a look at that myself mate afterwards because I've been using the horrible supermodel version that's command like code based and that's why I got the ump with it and I barely used it in the last last, <laughs> last year <laughs> oh dear cool mate alright so uh, if we move on to the next one then which I, know, I, I, I think again we're going to be baffled by the fact that certain other games got released on this and I'm not saying they're bad but the fact that other games got released in this on this console with the certain things that this uses uh i'm mad but uh yeah this one is jurassic park the lost world uh and that's the arcade game i know there's about a billion games that are called the lost world but yeah, <laughs> lost world mate <laughs> did you get to play this in the arcade yes uh this one i remember playing at i believe it was a mega ball in clyde bank i played this one in. um and again looking at it it was just insane. The cabinet, if I remember, was like based on the green and yellow and red um, vehicle from the movie. Um, it was a kind of big climb-in, sit-in cabinet with a screen, and obviously the the guns yeah. inside. And again, it's one that I've kind of had another wee kind of look at on on the emulator. Um, visually, I don't think it's held up quite as well as say House of the Dead 2 has but yeah. at the time again it was like shooting dinosaurs and it's like 
there was a part in it where you're 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 running along or driving along and there's a T-Rex chasing you, you've got to literally just shoot the T-Rex. It's like and then raptors are jumping out at you and it's just <laughs> it's madness. And it would it was such a fun arcade game. And again, I can't understand why you you obviously House of the Dead 2 is is a Dreamcast's kind of you know, Peter Dizzy Stones of, of light gun games, you know, it's um and then you kind of go to the other end of the scale and you've got Confidential Mission, which isn't bad, but you've got some almost just just below House of the Dead 2, I think Lost World just, just sits under there. Um and I it was just such a bloody good game. Honestly, so much so much fun. Um and it wouldn't have required any kind of replication of the cabinet to to make it that fun. The cabinet was lovely and it was beautifully designed and it was enticing and it, it also Jurassic Park themed with a big logo on the side and all that. But um, as a game, it would have worked just as well in the home as, as House of the Dead did. Um, and again, just is it licenses? Was it the, again a gap that perhaps they, they they lost the license to to bring it from the arcade into the home? I just I don't know. No, mate. I mean, it's as you say, we had House of the Dead <laughs> uh, and House of the Dead 2 came out of nowhere really, because uh, when the Dreamcast was announced it wasn't even, I don't remember seeing any news about it. I, I remember, and I think I might mention this in our Dreamcast episode, I just remember all of a sudden it was on the Dreamcast. It didn't have a massive arcade presence, but uh, when I saw Lost World, I first saw the Lost World in the Trocadero in London, in Sega World. And that was when it was in its in its in its zenith in ninety uh, seven, and that's when it had you know three or four floors, which you know it might have been even more than that. And uh, you saying that you had went into the one with the car? Yeah, it was the. There was the, the dress yeah. It was a big sitting cabinet. And it, the, it, it looked like a replica of almost the kind of the jeep from from you know the actual yeah. film with the with the kind of same pattern on the side with the kind of the the green, red, and, and yellow. Yeah, so they had that one on one floor uh, with a bunch of other games. Um, but I remember at the back, I think, on one of the floors, and they had obviously they had the rides in Segworld, they had this great big enclosure, and you had to pay a, cu- a few quid to have a go. And it was one of these things where, you know, you just had to, you, you had to pay the extra for that experience, and it was absolutely insane. The screen was absolutely enormous, and it was rattling around and everything. It was like an experience like no other. And it's it's like you're saying, mate. It's it's so much fun. You got raptors jumping out of the tall grass at you. You've got the T Rex chasing you. I think you have to shoot him in the mouth, and then you're driving under the Brontosaurus's legs, and he's trying to shit on you, and you've got to shoot the shoot the poo out of the way before it lands on you. Do you remember that bit? Jurassic poo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> shoot, shoot the shite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you if you told someone, oh yeah, I've been playing this uh, Jurassic Park game. Oh, what? What are you doing? It? Oh, you shoot, you shoot poo. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they didn't bring it home. <laughs> it was the parents' groups. Oh, but, but the the queues to get on this thing, and this is the premium one, were, were massive. And then you had the in Segworld, they also had the the Jeep one as well. Uh, when I went back in later years, uh, it went down, and I had the single stand up cab, and that was still pretty big. That was still a forty inch screen at the time. But uh, however you played it, it was it was mesmerizing. And uh, yeah, it, I, I, you know, I haven't seen or played it for probably about twenty years, mate. 
So I don't know how it holds up, but at the time it was another one that I thought, you know, it's as close as you can get to to the film. Um, you look at the the Lost World game that was on PlayStation and Sega Saturn at the time. It's the polygonal 2.5D platformer. You know, it's 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 like ancient compared That's to what the Lost not, World was. Not quite the same. <laughs> Not, not quite the same ballpark as yeah. a fish need no fucking ballpark neither. It's like, it's a, no, it definitely wasn't. But I mean, you've, you've definitely you've trumped me on that one, mate. I'm I'm a mega bowling Clyde Bank, which anybody who's from my neck of the woods that listens knows that it's not the most glamorous way to stumble across a, a premium arcade <laughs> game. You're away to the Trocadero. You know, Sega World traversing four or more floors to find several versions <laughs> of the one game, mate. You've you've definitely got me there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, that place was magical. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved going there. Um, I haven't been there for. Yeah, it was a shame when it when it all closed down. Um, but I did go there quite a few times. It was when I, when I used to go to CEX. I used to go there quite a few times, like either before or after, and I absolutely absolutely adored it. Um, but yeah, there were so many good things in there. I remember the first time I saw Street Fighter 3 was in there as well. And uh yeah, absolutely amazing stuff. Amazing. And that and that massive cab was just just the the, orda- the audacity to to make something an arcade game so ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's something <laughs> I only Sega could do. And the thing is as well, see see that I, I love that. See the, the enthusiasm that you still hear whenever people who, who went to arcades you know, talk about them because it is a shame that that we don't get that anymore. We don't we don't have that kind of. We've spoken about that one here many times. That, that there is something kind of missing that wee kind of bit of magic of of going into an arcade and, and seeing the the kind of latest and greatest from whether it's Sega, or whether it was Namco, or whoever it was at the time that was making these brilliant games and. That's where you've seen the cutting edge of technology, whereas you know nowadays the cutting edge of technology is is under your your TV. You know it's just the way the yeah. world has gone. But oh man, that that Sega world sounds like an absolute paradise. It was, mate. It was uh, it, it was heaven. Um, but yeah, you could when it first opened. Um, I can't remember what, when it first opened. Was it ninety five, ninety six? And I was a bit too young to be going into London on my own. But you'd, uh, I think I managed to convince. We were out in a, for a family day out in London once, and uh, uh, I managed to convince my parents to take us in there. And I think it was like, I think you paid like a fiver or a tenner each, and you it was unlimited. You go around all these floors of arcade games and play them as much as you want. But by the time I went back there, when I was able to, when I was you know traveling on to, into like the city on my own. Uh, it was pay to back to pay to play, then hence the uh, outrageous two pound to go on on Jurassic Park Lost World. But uh, yeah, I think I, I think I lasted until uh, I lasted about five minutes, and then I had to get out because uh, I died. But you know, two pound well spent. <laughs> <laughs> I got chewed by a raptor and shat on by a brontosaurus. Yeah. That's a good afternoon. <laughs> but yeah, you just don't see the the cutting edge of arc- it's like you say, mate. The cutting edge of arcade is unfortunately in the home these days. Mm-hmm. Um, Back then, going to the arcade was like was like a glimpse of the. It's like going into tomorrow's world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like playing the Lost World. You know, the the clunky platform game on your 
on your Saturn or PlayStation, or even if you had a Mega Drive, it was the 2D sprite one. But then you go into the, and it's like, you know, the, it felt like the real dinosaurs were actually jumping out at you or, or, or shitting on you, whatever the case. <laughs> Spared no expense. <laughs> Had to get that in there. Yeah, I, know, I know he's not in the second one, right? But come on, it's, you know what I mean? <laughs> he is in the, he's in the he's in the second film, isn't he? Right at the yeah. very beginning. Yeah, that's uh, was it? So, so Richard Attenborough. Yeah. So, yeah. So this one, uh, baffling that he didn't come out onto onto mm-hmm. the Dreamcast because um, it was model free, so it could have it could have done it. Um, and yeah, you know, going with House of the Dead, and when I bought House of the Dead, part of me was thinking, yeah, we're going to get. Jurassic Park down the line. I assume. No, confidential mission. Which uh, it's all right, but it's uh, mm-hmm. poor man's virtual cop. Yeah, I always thought uh, uh, so it was like it wasn't even like it was. You could see it was trying to be virtual cop mixed with kind of like James Bond. Yeah, it, uh, just never. I had it, um, and it's, it's, it was good enough fun. It was a good light gun game, but again, whenever you've kind of spent that long kind of hyping up, I think everybody who who played The Lost World in the arcade and bought a Dreamcast, I think would have been sitting there going, right, I've bought this light gun pack, bought the House of the Dead 2 pack, but there's going to be a Lost World Jurassic Park pack as well. But yeah. it, it just didn't happen. No, oh, oh, I wanted LA machine guns and um, what was the other one? Gunblade NY. Mm, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, they would have been the same without the um, without the, the the vibrating Gatling gun that you had. But um, I thought they were all going to come. But yeah, we just got the two in the end, which was it was a, a real. Sh- I mean, House of the Dead made the gun worth it because House of the Dead Two is so good. But no, brilliant game, it really is. Cool, mate. Um, should we move on to the next one then? Mm-hmm. And. Uh, it's interesting because this is actually a jump up in terms of technology from the the previous two. It's probably the 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 most advanced tech that any of these games that we're going to discuss was running on. Um, but this one is Planet Harriers. So, any experience with this one, mate? This is one that I have only experienced through YouTube videos, mate. Um, the, the kind of spiritual successor to to Space Harrier, and it's it looks. Um, interesting part of it kind of for some reason i was getting res vibes off it which was quite strange i don't know why if it was maybe the way the character was moving or the the target on the screen the way it was shaped and and moving around but i was getting some kind of res vibes off it um but yeah it looks it looks mental um just you know classic space harrier style gameplay but with that kind of interplanetary galactic kind of setting and obviously the space area was already kind of set in kind of wacky worlds and welcome to the fantasy zone and kind of check <laughs> landscapes and dodging this and that and dragons would be multiple parts of their bodies and you would shoot them they blow up and all that kind of stuff but um like planet harriers seemed more kind of set in outer space almost from from what i've watched the kind of the, the playthroughs of it and kind of yeah. battling their way through the space stations and, and things like that um you can Again, light with space harrier, you can run along the ground, and it was kind of looked like there was almost not not kind of platform elements, but parts of the stage where could you collect these kind of wee gold coins with G on them whenever you're shooting enemies, um, and they're also kind of scattered around the level, so you're kind of flying through like what looks like this kind of space station and kind of avoiding beams and shooting enemies, and then you go down low under what looks like kind of like 
kind of floorboardy kind of rafter kind of things. And then you, you're you're running under collecting some of these G tokens and then back up in the air and, and shooting again. So I it's again it was one whenever I first downloaded these emulators that I thought I'm going to download this and try it before we record this and I couldn't find it. And then obviously you've told me the the board that it was on that it was kind of between Naomi's. It was a a kind of step up as you've said from from Model Three, but yeah. it was even a step up from Naomi because it was kind of between both of those boards. So. Um, I might have to try and see if if other emulators will run it. <laughs> I mean, there are Naomi two emulators, aren't there? So there should be uh, there should be Sega Hikaru emulators, or at least I'd hope so. I might have to I might have to take a look to see if there are. But um, <laughs> but it, you know we've seen uh, Virtual Fighter Four running via emulation, so obviously Naomi two emulators are out there. I'm pretty sure. Don't they run on like no DC or anything like that? I'm sure I've read that somewhere. Many to take a look because I would like to play it. Yeah, it's another one I haven't played since, and uh, this was uh, early 2000s. So I don't think I played it, you know, in 2001 when it first came out. But uh, I, I remember finding it in an arcade. Uh, might have been in Birmingham actually in the Bull Ring. Um, but yeah, I remember following this one in uh, the magazines because. Space Harrier was one of the first games that I played on my brother's Master System, and uh, it was one of my first first loves uh, of Sega. Um, along with you know, on the Master System, it was Sonic the Hedgehog and Space Harrier. Uh, before that, it was Outrun on the Commodore sixty four. Was the closest that I got to a, you know Sega at the time. But I, Space Harrier always holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I think uh, that was one of my picks for for music for the now. That's what I call Sega episode. Um, so when I started reading this news about uh, a spiritual successor, uh, I, I had to play it, um, and I fully expected it to come to, to come to the Dreamcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as you say, mate. It, it very much is Space Harrier with a few uh, uh, a few bells and whistles. Uh, I think the cabinet I played was just a, a single a single cabinet uh, from memory. But from what I understand, you can play like a networked game where you can play two single player games. Um, you obviously don't have the old, you know, the the normal, the usual space area guy. You get selecting the characters, um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's such a fun game, and it's it's so fast and fluid. Uh, I remember at the time thinking the, the the standard for like speed and fluidity was kind of F zero F zero X on the N sixty four because that was so fast. And I remember playing this in the arcade, and obviously it's going to be night and day above anything else. Um, and yeah, it was just absolutely blown away. So smooth, so quick, uh, just so responsive, and just really satisfying to play. I mean, yeah, the Hikaru hardware was a step up from Naomi, but you know, with a few uh, nips and tucks, I'm sure they could have got it working on the Dreamcast. I, I mean, again, it may come back to that thing that we've spoken about. You know, with the Dreamcast, is that you know we never got to see it flex its muscles. Um, and I mean, looking at it, it's not. You're right, it is very fluid and it is very fast, but was it that far above in terms of visuals from what we've seen on Dreamcast, you know, like Shenmue or Power Stone or, you know, that kind of thing, the more kind of complex, really smooth, like Dead or Alive 2, you know, I know it's obviously not their kind of fighting games and whatnot, but, you know, in terms of that kind of level of, of detail and textures and clarity, I think, I don't think there's anything in there from looking at the video of the playthrough anyway, there's nothing I could see that made me go, Dreamcast might have struggled with that. Um, I think maybe possibly just the frame rate, but as you said, a couple of wee nips and tucks, we 
tweak some lighting effects or you know take take off some of the kind of particle effects or whatever and maybe some transparencies maybe just kind of I nip, nip and tuck it a wee bit just to get it running a full 60 I think the Dreamcast could easily have done it but um, again you've got to ask you know why why didn't they was it a case of it came out too late for them to even consider it if that's the case then would it perhaps have been a candidate for the original Xbox you know we, you know you look at the games yeah. that came on there you know Crazy Taxi 3 Gun Valkyrie you know um, Panzer Dragoon Otter you know things like that that came over um, Jet Set Radio Future. So there was what I've spoken about it on um, when Sega met Xbox back in season one. We spoke about that kind of relationship. So if it wasn't going to come to Dreamcast, then that kind of time frame that it was out, maybe around about that kind of crossover period, was it around about 99, 2000, 2001? That yeah. kind of time. So you're in that kind of era. So it could easily have been a, a Sega exclusive on Xbox, but. Definitely. Uh, again, why? Why not? Space Harrier was huge, massive following. Nah, just leave it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's baffling. Um, yeah, so 2001 it came out. So, yeah, they're working on souped-up Naomi hardware, but at the end of the day, it's like you say, mate, it's not the the speed and fluidity is what it's got going for it. And I remember some of the previews at the time just talking about the draw distance. Um now, I don't think it's a game that you'd want to sacrifice your frame rate for or the speed because that's part of the appeal. But, you know, mm-hmm. would anyone complain too much of the draw distance brought in on this one? Or if the characters had a few less like polygons in them, if there's a bit less detail in the backgrounds, if if some of like the, the rings or, or, or anything like that was replaced by like 2D sprites, I don't think anyone would have really noticed. Um, so it's a shame if it was brought to the Dreamcast, you know, if they developed it, it would have had to be at the same time, like a House of Dead 2 sort of deal where they came out, you know, months apart because obviously 2001 was when Sega were thrown in the towel. Although obviously Res came out, what, 2002 on Dreamcast? So, That's where the later ones, yep. Yeah, so they, they Sega weren't shy about releasing <laughs> releasing shooters <laughs> late into the console's <laughs> life. So yeah, and as you say, mate, it would have been perfect fodder for the Xbox. The Xbox probably could have done it with its hands on its head. Um, oh, I and uh, yeah, and this whole thing about the arcade heritage you could have, you know, the, I thought from what I played of the game, there was enough there that yeah, you've got your standard arcade playthrough, um, but you've got the shops and stuff, so there's obviously a robust scoring system in there. You could throw in a few more challenges, throw in Space Harrier, Space Harrier 2 was unlockables. You could have done so much with it, so yeah, another one that yeah, it should have come to. The Dreamcast or to the Xbox, uh, and it's a shame we still don't have it now. So uh, another another one. I think there is a way to play it on on Null DC or or similar. Um, so that's something I'm going to definitely have to look into. I need to get my emulator game back on, mate. I've, I've slacked. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think of the ones we've talked about so far. I think this is the most kind of lost gem one yet, um, just because of. The rarity of the arcade game itself, the fact it never got a port, which is the whole point of this episode, but mm. the fact that the board it was on, you know, it's not a common board. There wasn't many titles released on it. So, you know, that, that kind of emulation in itself is also maybe a wee bit, you know, not so much out of out of reach, but, you know, it takes a wee bit of kind of digging. It's not quite as simple as like maybe Model 2 or, or MAME or, or Super Model 3. Um, a wee bit of kind of digging required, I think, to get this one up and running. So, um, yeah. I, 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, and you, you make a great point there about the rarity because it obviously came in two thousand one when the arcades were really on the wane. Um, I think that was when Cap, even Capcom were struggling with with fighters, which ultimately ended up with a few missteps around there. So yeah, uh, a real shame that one. But uh, come on, Sega, <laughs> what's the um, hashtag Free Planet Harriers? <laughs> so. Where's, where's his name? Get 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 Max on it. Max, and Max, Max name Aye. Is, yeah. well, just just you know, do us a favor, mate. You, look, Sony and no Sony, um, Marvel and, and Disney. How did I bring up Sony? That's just disgraceful. How dare you, sir? Wash your mouth out with soup, you deviant. <laughs> um, but Disney and Marvel are talking about kind of bringing back MVC too. So so Max has done his job there, right? So get his planet out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All it needs is Sega. Sega, you, you you hold all the marbles here. Just get it done for crying out loud. And the thing is as well, it's not like these other games that we've spoken about where they've got licenses. That's why we're not seeing them. Because like the, with Scud Race, the, the four cars are licensed. The cars have got sponsors on them. Like the, the, the McLaren F1's got golf on it. So yeah. there's all these licenses that, that have long expired. Jurassic Park, likewise, the movie license will have expired. But on Planet Harriers, there's no reason why it couldn't be on any of these compilations today. Absolutely. I mean, th- this one, more than any of the other ones that we got on this initial list, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's got nothing holding it back. So, yeah, a real shame. But so, come on, get get your hashtags out, listeners. Let's see if we can get, at the very <laughs> least, this one <laughs> into our hands. Oh, Okay. I think we'll move on then, mate. Uh, and the next one, it's another racing game. Uh this one is one that I haven't played, and that's Indy 500. And I know our, our, our pal, well, I say our pal, we haven't had him on the show yet or spoken much with him, but, uh, you know, we do like Mr. Sega Lord X, and he spoke very highly of this one. But mm-hmm. did you get a, did you get to play this one, mate, Indy 500? Not in the day. Um, and again, it's one that I've recently played on the, the Model 2 emulator. Um, and the only thing I can say, it's like you mentioned, you know, games previously having a night together yeah well this is this is like um daytona um decided to to you know get together with virtue racing uh <laughs> because the the one thing that strikes me about indy 500 is the speed of it um not the most in-depth game in terms of you know track content um or, or cars it's you know very very basic you've got your your two tracks you've got your you know, you've got your, what's it called, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, and then you've got the Highland Raceway, um, and it's, the, the Indianapolis kind of speedway is, is pretty much like your your Daytona, you know, 3.7 speedway kind of thing. It's, it's just an oval, very, very similar in terms of track design and even the visual look. It just literally looks like you've taken the Daytona cars out and just dropped virtual racing cars with textures in. <laughs> um, but the, the other one, the, the Highland one, is kind of bizarre because um, the Highland Raceway looks, in part, it's got kind of almost Sega Rally mountain stage kind of look to it. You know, you've you've got the kind of the, the green embankments, you've got the, the kind of the rock formations at the side of the roads, um, kind of quite tight turns as well. So um, I, it's, it's a kind of weird one. It's 
the second track, the Highland one, doesn't actually look as if it belongs to have F1 cars in it. It just looks like <laughs> it's like why why is it why is it F1 style cars in this with such tight bends? I don't understand it. But um, no, it's it's very very fast. Um, the handling again on the emulator is great. Um, if you're using a controller, so you can play it, no problem at all. But I it certainly would have been a challenge because it's a Model Two game. So you're looking at Sega Saturn for that either and I do remember there was rumours of it coming to Saturn at the time but apparently there was a port planned it just yeah, never came along I, I don't I wonder if they just started it and then looked at the speed and went nah Saturn can't do this because <laughs> you know like Daytona I think Daytona as we've spoken about with the, the original Saturn version is that as poorly in, as it runs in terms of frame rate it's redeeming feature is the handling you know, if, if it didn't capture the feel of the arcade, then, you know, it, it would have been a complete lost cause. But somehow at 25 frames per second, it still feels like Daytona. Whereas Indy 500, it, the handling, I don't think, had any kind of major bearing on it. It was just, I haven't played it with a wheel or played the cabinet, so can't talk as to how it felt there. But on the pad, it just feels very kind of generic, you know, it's, it's not kind of, you know, the, the kind of same idea is like where Sega Rally, where different track terrains play a part, or, or Daytona, you get to that hairpin at 3.7 speedway, and you know, you've got to kind of slam the brakes on and flip the arse around the corner and then straighten it back up before the start-finish line. There's, you don't get that kind of feel from it, but um, I, it's, I, I just don't think looking at the hardware at the time, I think even as good as a team were who dismantled Sega Rally and, and put it back together and gave us the most iconic arcade home racer that you could have hoped for. I don't think they could have taken Indy 500 apart and, and brought a port home that done the the game's one major feature. I think that Indy 500 exists just to be fast as F. Um, I'm not going to say that word on this because uh, it'll be Radio Sega <laughs> at six o'clock at night. So, But I think... Indy 500 is basically based around just being so, so fast. Um, and I don't think the Saturn could have had a hope in hell of of replicating it. It would have definitely struggled. I mean, it's not the most visually mm-hmm. uh, not detailed or uh, dynamic, is it? It's, no. It's, some, of it, some of it looks a bit like under-detailed or flat. Um, yes. And I think that is to keep it, keep, to keep it fast, uh, to keep the speed up and the frame rate up and... <laughs> Yeah, maybe you could have, you know, cut the frame rate in half, but I'd still think the Saturn would have would have struggled at that sort of at that sort of speed uh, to render it that that quickly. I mean, I always think back to um, it's F1 Challenge. I, I know I've got the the Japanese version. It's F1 Live Information. Um, I think it's F1 Challenge in 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 Europe. I don't know if you've ever played that. Maybe uh, it's an F1 yeah. game. It's made by it's made by Sega, and yeah. uh, that's. I think it's a, it's. I think it's an underrated little racer that one. Um, I've put quite a few hours into it since I picked it up. Uh, I think a year or two ago. But it's, uh, it does struggle. It does chug a little bit on the technical side, and that's a game that's not at the mind. Yeah, it's an early title, but I think I think it would have been a real struggle to get Indy Five Hundred running at the sort of speed that it need to run at in order for it to do the arcade game justice. Um, yeah, especially that that second track, as you say, it's a, it's a lot more detailed, a lot more stuff going on. Um, 
it seems like it's a Sega Rally track in effect, doesn't it? <laughs> the, the old Highland track that's been dumped on an F1 game. <laughs> I, it, it does. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the thing that struck me straight away. I thought this this looks like this looks like um, Mountain Stage in, in Sega Rally. There was certain bits yeah. that just kind of well, some, some bits. I would even say mixed a wee bit of of desert. You've got the kind of the muddy embankments, the kind of green runoff areas, and then you've got the the kind of mountain aspects of it as well so again very strange to be dumping f1 style cars into that kind of environment but um you're right <laughs> it's it's not you look at other like you look at daytona and you look at sega rally and indy 500 for a model 2 game is nowhere as texture intense as as those two um but no as you said quite quite rightly i think that's just to basically give the, the system as much headroom as it can just to go whoosh. Yeah. I'm going to mention the game again. and uh, I hate mentioning it a second, an Nintendo game for the second time on this podcast, but it's kind of the F0X schoolbook where the, it dials back the detail in order to, to, to give you speed and fluidity. And I think that's what Indy 500 does. And, it's we were talking about planet harriers and you could be a few you could put a few nips and tucks to make it work on a dreamcast uh i don't know how you'd get indy 500 to work on a sega saturn it would have been nice if there was a souped up version that came to that came to the dreamcast maybe but uh, maybe a little bit too late by then and there was so many other f1 games about um it's probably a bit Mm. too late but i still think you know if there's a if there's a model 2 collection maybe or even if, if you know, a Model 2 series, like Sega Ages one, it'd be lovely to have this on. That's, that's a dream, mate, into a, a Model 2. How often have we said that? See, Sega, if they really, they could print money, and I know the licenses are a big issue, right, but we've said it, because so, so many people come on Twitter and say, how come this isn't on backwards compatibility, or why haven't we seen this? And I think the fact that these have got so many licenses in them and they've expired, and Sega aren't going to go and spend money to get licenses back to, to put old games out, even though they would sell so, so well. But can you imagine a nice multi disc set, the model collection, model one, two, and three? You know, yeah. all the games. <laughs> oh. Nice, nice packaging, slip case, separate DVD case for each model one, model two, model three. You know, just <laughs> and a, a nice, you a mean nice like one um, of those... kind of booklet. You know, just yeah. a book I'm inside of like that, DVD cases yeah. that you, you line them all up, and you've got all the games in the line, and across them they spell like model three when you've got them all lined up together on the shelf. Oh, I bring them out one at a time and have their own case for each, and then you put them all yeah. on the shelf, eh? Oh. See, we're in the wrong job, mate. Oh, cool. So that's Indy 500 then. Right then, mate. Uh, I think we'll move swiftly on because we've got two more to go. Uh, the next one, I think we, we slightly disagree on, don't we? <laughs> yes. Uh, and again, this isn't one that I played uh, in the day itself. And I think a lot of this one, unlike, you know, the games we've spoken about already, where the cabinet didn't have too much of an impact on it coming home, you know, like um, we've spoken about The Lost World and those kind of brilliant kind of movie-themed and inspired cabinets that wouldn't have needed to have had any bearing on on how the game came home. But I think having played this one um, emulated, it's... uh, 
the the Harley Davidson um, makes all the difference whenever you've got that big cabinet that's half of a Harley with a big screen in front of you, <laughs> and I think I think that in itself um, is is what makes that that game very appealing because for me anyway when I played it I didn't I didn't find much to it I didn't actually see the point of it I was kind of struggling I'm going right if I'm getting to this checkpoint and then whenever you, you kind of the it's almost sort of like Forza Horizon style where you've got the big thing in the distance and in Forza Horizon it's like destination and it's like how many kind of you know how many X amount of miles or meters or feet was away from you um and with Harley Davidson, you've just got this big Harley Davidson logo in the distance, bouncing over the buildings, rotating to show you where you have to go to. Yeah. Um, and then you can you get there, and your wee guy does a pose, woohoo, yeah, and all that. And then next, next, um, next stage, <laughs> and 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 that's you off. And it's 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 very basic fun, but I just I, I could I'm, I'm going that's all right. But I think a lot of the appeal from it would have come from the fact that. You get to, you know, channel your inner Arnold Schwarzenegger and claim across a Harley, and there's no there's no viaducts <laughs> or trucks chasing you or liquid robots to to worry about right enough. But um, I it's fun right enough. But but I think this is possibly for me anyway. This is the weakest of the six. Yeah, we both talked about that before we jumped on, didn't we? Now I personally absolutely adored this. I played it in the arcade. Uh, near to release, um, and I did play it. I think it was in uh, in Hemel Hempstead. I can't remember what the place is called. Everyone just calls it Wally World, or used to call it Wally World because uh, there was a it was full of Wallies or and idiots. But uh, it, was, it had a bowling alley, it had uh, all sorts of stuff there. But it had a it had a pretty decent arcade, and I remember this was in there. Um, and this one it did run on Model Three at the time. Uh, I'm trying to think of when I went. Must have been to see it. Um, must have been just before the Dreamcast came out. But I, I remember being aware of the Dreamcast and thinking that it was coming that way. But yeah, uh, absolutely loved it. I think just getting on there and um, you've got the engine sounds all roaring about you. It really did <laughs> make you feel like you were riding a Harley. Um, and I think it's one of those Sega games where it's it's. Sega have always made fantastic games and always been masters at that sort of one more go arcade experience. But when it came to experiences in general, you know, you look at stuff like Afterburner where you're in the gigantic rotating cabinet. Um, you you look at stuff like we were talking about the Jurassic World arcade cabinet and uh, Harley Davidson was an experience. And uh, I remember it being a lot of fun, mate. You've, you've made the comparison in there to to forza horizon and i think that's 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 a, that's a good shout there it's it's one of these ones where it probably isn't as impressive now but back in the day that sort of quasi open world and i think this this was before crazy taxi um so you had like this semi-open world that you could ride your ride your big harley around uh the the, the, the music's rocking in, in your ear you can hear the, the the roar of the motorbike over the speakers um and it just felt heavy and it just felt yeah you almost wanted to just go and grab your leather jacket and just just go <laughs> just sit on there all day I, I absolutely loved it mate uh but yeah it's just, i i haven't played this recently so you may have a more grounded view than I do but uh, yeah I, I'd still love a way to play this on a modern system. I think it's one of these things where um, you know we kind of, we've criticised um, people in the past for maybe trying to take 
modern eyes to, to older games. And that's one thing I, I tried not to do when I played this, because I, I, obviously I've seen screenshots of it um, before I had run the, the emulated version. And uh, I'm, I really went to this kind of thinking, you know, of the era that it came out in. And are the music's rocking there and you're talking about picking up your leather jacket. I've talked about, you know, channeling your, your inner, inner Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, no no shotgun required to twirl in the air right enough. But uh, I, I do think a lot of the appeal of, of that was was the cabinet. I think, again, it's it's probably the, the, one, the one game that I don't think would have been able to capture that appeal when it came home. It would have been a perfectly fun arcade racer, but I do think what you said there kind of, when you talk about you've seen it in the arcade and playing it and claiming aboard that Harley and, you know, again, the, the way Sega set their, their deluxe cabinets up, you know, the big screen in front of you, the bike, you know, the, the big booming speakers with the, the effects, you know, you put your coin in and probably, you know, press the throttle or whatever and boom. I think that, all that stuff would have combined to be a brilliant experience and I don't think it would have quite come home um, with quite that that feel to it. Um, I think it would have ended up be well, would it have been any worse than 18 wheeler though, let's be honest? Can't oh, think yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, probably not. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you may be right about it there, mate. I mean, as I'm saying, I haven't played this since I saw it in the arcade. Um, I just remember loving it. And I think part of that is the fact that <laughs> I played it back then, just before the Dreamcast came out. I thought it would come to the Dreamcast. Um, obviously, it never did, but uh, I still lived in hope. Uh, but then, since I last played it, you've, we've, we've had games like like Crazy Taxi. Um, and my memory of playing Crazy Taxi for the first time was thinking how sim- how the, the world was set up and the, the directions and everything were similar to, to Harley Davidson. And obviously Crazy Taxi just took that formula and absolutely nailed it, perfected it. And it's a, it's a classic that's still good to play. So you may, that, you may have a more grounded view than myself, mate. This one I was going on purely on memory. Um, hopefully there's still a couple of arcade cabinets out there that people can, can climb aboard and uh, get their leather jacket <laughs> and just sit there like a, like a badass. <laughs> riding around the streets of LA. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I mean, I think the reason why it didn't come is probably fairly obvious. It probably was the license um, that prevented this one from coming to the Dreamcast. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know really what the reception was like around it at the time. I just remember by myself, I absolutely adored it. Um, you know, I, I put I had quite a few goes on it before I had to go, but uh, it was only that one time and I never got to play it again, unfortunately. Uh, we we one and done, you know. It's again, it, it wasn't one I've ever seen anywhere. You know, I've I've seen obviously images of the the arcade cabinet, but I've never ever seen one in the flesh. Um, I can't recall if if Booth's ever got it. I don't remember seeing it in there because I would have certainly um, given it a go. But um, I I mean, you've got to think though, there must be a couple of Harley Davidson Sega cabinets sitting stashed somewhere. Go think there must be a big air hanger or something, a big, big storage container just full of all this Sega goodness. Because all these machines couldn't have been melted down or you know broken down for parts. You know they must be somewhere. Yeah, it must be, mate. Um, I might have a look on eBay or something. See if there's one. <laughs> I'm sure they won't won't want too much money for it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a few um, so, so, hi, so, Sam sent me a. A link to was it eBay or Gumtree? 
they sent me and it was a Sega Rally 2 cabinet and it was um, in need of TLC. It was like 800 quid. And I'm like, ah, 800 quid. I know it's Sega Rally 2 and I prefer the first game, oh. but I've got that wee man cave at the back in the garden and it's got like nothing really in it. I'm going to turn it into a kind of games room, but I'm like, get a wee Sega Rally cabinet in there. Just sitting there all night. It's got electricity and everything. I could just... <laughs> With, with the hydraulics going. <laughs> oh, that would be the dream. That would be the dream. <laughs> you could touch it up, um, restore it, and just get it, get it back to its former glory. That would be a, that would be a labour of love in itself. But you know, even, oh, we've not had an arcade perfect Sega Halley, rally in the home, so <laughs> that would be as close as you got. Uh, literally in the home. Well, in the back garden anyway. <laughs> <laughs> in the man cave <laughs> oh. the Sega cave <laughs> oh right then mate I think we'll uh, we'll move on to our, our final game in, in this episode uh, and that's another one that uh, this one I actually played quite a lot back in the day uh, and this is Top Skater so did you get a chance to play this one in the arcade I know you've been playing it uh, on, the, on the Model 2 emulator recently haven't you Yes, I, I've seen it once. Um, boosted have it, uh, so I've had one one very brief shot of it, um, but I, I couldn't do much on it. Um, so I don't know whether it was. A, I know the cabinet had the the actual board on it. You had to kind of was that kind of break kind of pedal thing you had to release to to make it go. And it was quite a complex cabinet, but. Um, the the model two emulator runs it really well, though albeit you have to kind of you have to kind of really play around with the control settings to to get because obviously the way the the cabinet was set up, you can't replicate the kind of if it's, it's not the foot brake they call it release the foot something it says in the screen, um, and that seems to be kind of locked on all the time and there's not a button for that but um, I've managed to get the on the Xbox controller A and B so A is to jump B does tricks. And I've got the, the analog stick set up and I've managed to get the, the two triggers to because you can lean heavier to either side. Um, and it's, it's really playable. And it's one of these games that you're thinking, look at how that whole generation was at that time. You were living in a jackass generation. You know, Tony Hawk Absolutely. was massive. You know, it, it just seems so, so daft that... Um, with all that kind of that kind of generational thing, as I said, Jackass, Tony Hawk, you know, you had the Tony Hawk games, you know, it just seemed a perfect fit that it was such a great game to port that it would have fitted in so well, and it would have because obviously Tony Hawk's games were were brilliant, and Tony Hawk's Two in the Dreamcast is is my favourite one, and it's an absolutely amazing game, but you know, it's it's quite in depth. You know, you've got the challenges and collecting the the wee kind of ego symbols and collecting the letters to, you know, spell the word skate and try to do all your tricks. And, and it's quite involved, the Tony Hawk game. It's, it's, it's brilliant, but it is really, really involved. And I think Top Skater would have brought in that whole um, kind of more casual element. It would have been a wee step back, you know, that it was more score-based. It wasn't kind of, well, I'll say Tony Hawk's 2 was was score based as well, there was a high score table in it but all those other elements removed, you could just focus on the arcade side of it and I think it would have been 
a really good alternative. I think it would have sat alongside the Tony Hawk's games really, really well. You know, Tony Hawk games for the more involved, you've got the licensing, you've got the involvement, you know, of the greatest skateboarder of that generation. And then you could have, once you've, you know, done your nut and try to get the word A to, you know, spell skate for the 80th time, <laughs> you know, failing, you could have just fired up Top Skater and just had a bit of fun, kicked back. Um, so I definitely think there was a market for it alongside the the skateboard games of that era. And I, against another one that I think wouldn't have, I think the, the cabinet for Top Skater was a novelty. You know, it was, it wasn't something that would be difficult to, to bring to bring home at all, you know, and again, even with the the difficulties of kind of trying to figure out setting up the M2 on the, the Xbox controller, I think if you're bringing it out on, on the Dreamcast, you know, similar things, you've got one analog stick, that's all you need, you know, A and B for, for jump and trick and your two triggers for, you know, the, the kind of lean left and lean right, and it would have worked brilliantly. Yeah, I completely agree, mate. Um, when I played, I played it back in, uh, it must have been 1998, um, and it was in our Bolden Alley um, in Borenwood where I lived. Uh, so this one, I managed to play quite a lot. Uh, it was, it, and you, it's, it's funny you mentioned the cabinet then because that really stuck out. That really was part of the draw of it. Um, and uh, yeah, they'd get me and my mates would, would be on it quite a lot. We'd see other people going in. And the Bolden Alley, you know, Bar Central was always just full of, was, well, drunkards uh, who would jump on there and just that looked like asses, but it was so much fun. Absolutely had uh, such a laugh playing it. And yeah, you fit the nail on the head, mate. It was so easy to pick up and play. Uh, interestingly, I think it was actually out in the arcade before the whole Tony Hawk's sort of era came in. So it's definitely out in the arcade before Tony Hawk's came to, came to the PlayStation um, originally. And uh, yeah, it's almost like uh, Sega almost almost touched that touched on that whole part of of culture before before the actual Tony Hawk series did. But uh, alas, it was never to be. But it did mean that if Sega if Sega had uh, you know had played their cards out, maybe it could have seen its way onto uh, onto the Sega Saturn at the time, which would really have been interesting. Um, obviously, it wouldn't have been as smooth, but unlike. Uh, Indy 500, which we were talking about earlier, I think it really could have had made a stab at at getting Tony Hawk, uh, sorry, at getting Top Skater onto the Saturn. So, yeah, it's a brilliant game, loads of fun, brilliant soundtrack, and yeah, it, it nailed that feel, that sort of that that jackass vibe. Um, if Sega got a port of it onto the Saturn back in the day, um, preempting the whole Tony Hawk's mania with a game that's yeah, it's not as deep, but it's more accessible, uh, just as fun. Um, who knows? That could have could have sold a few more units if the if the whole if that was there instead of Bernie saying that the the drink the Saturn wasn't their future. So yeah, uh, it was it was I say only model two. The Saturn would have really struggled to 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 give it a, 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 an arcade perfect port, but I think it would have been doable to a degree. Chop the frame frame rate in half, lower a lot of the detail. Um, maybe package it with uh with one of those skateboards like they did in the later Tony Hawk games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could could you imagine if they I was just saying there if, if it came out before the whole kind of Tony Hawk craze kicked in, I mean they could have, you know, t- uh, top skater featuring Tony Hawk, they could have beat everybody to the punch. You know, that's 
Sega innovating again. See, they were ahead of the, they were tuning into that kind of that generational stuff with with, with Jackass, as, as we were saying. Um, in terms of kind of ports, I mean, it's another one that you could you know maybe put alongside um, you know Planet Harriers, and that it wouldn't take much. Um, to kind of bring it out today in any kind of collection. I think the only thing that I remember is the be announcer guy at the start. He says something about in association with Coca Cola or something like that. If I remember, um, when I played it on the, <laughs> the emulator, there's Coca Cola are definitely mentioned, and the logo is on the kind of the the top bit of the kind of platform before you skate down and, and make your way around the track. So just remove that. They did it with Crazy Taxi whenever it, it got ported to. To systems after Dreamcast, you know the KFC and you know um, Pizza Hut and Tower Records and Fila and all these places were all you know stripped out. So taking out Coca Cola wouldn't have been any kind of hassle. Um, so again, it's definitely one that they could put in a a collection if they wanted to, but they don't appear to want to. No, no, that's the sad thing. Um, I just, I suppose, it just comes down to us, the fans, to 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 make the noise and and tell them that's a, that's what we want. But yeah, I think it would be perfect fodder for an for an arcade collection. I mean, you saying that it works so well on on the controller just gives me hope because yeah, the, the arcade machine was really was part of the appeal, part of the novelty, and it was an, another a, an experience to play it on there. Absolutely phenomenal, uh, especially you know, as I say. We've got so many pissheads jumping on there <laughs> late at night. Uh, was always a joy to watch. But bringing it home, I think it would have been it would have been a load of laughs. Um, it would, yeah. Even today, you know, stick that in there. Bring it in with you know Indy Five Hundred, maybe if you if you maybe change the name the, the name of it, or I mean, it's only the Indy Five Hundred license on there. We've got it's no it's not really that much different to Daytona. I mean, a few of those sort of games, mate, and. I think a Model 2 collection would be absolutely amazing. Or maybe a new Astro City cab, you know, um, one that's one that's Model 2 focused rather than System 32 and all that stuff. But uh, we live and hope, mate. Uh, we live and hope. But uh, I think that brings us now now to the end of, of this first episode in what what I think is going to be a series. And, uh, Oh mate, it's been an absolute uh, absolute blast reliving some of these and, and and talking through them with you. Aye, I mean it's it's a uh, it's it's going to be a trilogy. I think the the amount of games we said at the start of the show, the amount of games that we've we've picked up, you know, and the list has just kept on growing. We've only got six here. Um, we've got another six already planned for for part two, and the list has just kept on growing. So this could easily be a, a trilogy, uh, and it just goes to show as we spoke at the start that lineage. One hundred percent, mate. Uh, I think, yeah. If I think, yeah, throw it back out to our to our listeners. If if you got any love for any of these games, and I think it really is a case of make your voice heard. We've seen it with with Marvel versus Capcom two now. Uh, we've seen it in a few places. I mean, we've just had a new Metroid game come out. Um, you know, if the demand's there, then generally people will listen. Um, I mean, Sega even made a, a sequel to Nights into Dreams off off the back of fan fan demand. So the fact that that exists, I mean, even Virtual Fire is back now. So anything's possible. Um, we're not asking for these to be completely remade. Just let us play them like legally. Let us, Sega, please just let us pay you money to play these games for goodness sake. Guys, I'm going to throw it over to you. You can always get in touch with us uh, via Twitter 
And I'd love to hear any other nominations that you've got for Sega Arcade Gems, Hidden Gems, Cult Classics, anything that's never made its way over to the home that really did deserve it. You can catch us at Sega Guys. You can catch me at Super underscore D. You can catch James at the Sega Holic. But until next time, stay retro and stay Sega. Cheers, guys.